Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the day I had yesterday, which is two days ago, as this episode drops, but you know what I mean. It's, it's a weird, it was a weird last day, and I feel like talking about it. So with that said, it was Public Amy's Chuck D. Bring the noise. Network. I'm Charlie Taylor and this is What's Good. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen, hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. So, so I, I had a, I had a 12 hour uh, foray into London um, on Tuesday and um, it was a weird one, it was a weird one. So I went, th- I went there initially for like an interview um at like 10 30 10 well 10 to 10 30 right so it left me it, it left me with a lot of time it left me with nine and a half hours specifically until uh i could go to the jazz cafe to see apollo brown uh along with uh rapper big poo guilty simpson and also sky zoo uh, apparently he was his first time uh in the jazz cafe which is just crazy to think about he said he was trying to get there for 15 years and uh that was kind of special to think about um, to know that I was there for Sky Zoo's first time at Jazz Cafe. Hopefully he comes back for his own show because that'll be really good. Uh, for hit see him for a couple of you know an hour an hour and a half or a couple of hours. Anyway, besides the point, I had space in between. So what did I do in that space between? What do you what do you think? I took pictures, right? So and with that said, I did get good photos. Um, I found this uh, really good um just spot uh, near South Bank that was really just I I got so many photos off that one spot alone. Um, but yeah, so it was half that, half trying to figure out where to sit down because my foot is still a bit busted. I I don't know if I've like a trapped nerve or something. Um, but it just it 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 comes it comes and goes. It it really does. So like even during the day, like when I got when I got out of the interview, <clears throat> uh, about five minutes later, my foot started hurting. And I was like, okay, I need to sit down quick, fast. Like I need to find the nearest green space it will probably most likely have benches and just sit for a bit right and i did that i found a place uh, it was in oxford circus um, around oxford circus area so i sat around right and uh yeah just sat there for an hour um i spent i i <laughs> i killed a i killed an audiobook in one in in a in a, in in one go um so that was really good shout out to the coldest case uh uh we by james patterson and a couple other dudes um it was really good actually so i got aaron paul uh, Nathalie Emmanuel and uh, Kristen Ritter um, in the in the cast, um, along with some others, and yeah, it was just really good. It was a really good audiobook. But anyway, that's not what we're here for, um, unless you need audiobooks. But it was actually kind of good audiobook. I feel like I feel like it could have been a TV show. I mean, it has it has a uh, has chops for that kind of thing. I feel like you could easily make it into like a just a little half hour series. But um, anyway, besides the point. So yeah, that was kind of just it. Um, I I went to certain places that I just knew I wanted to take photos at that I haven't before I haven't yet. Um, South Bank, as I mentioned. Uh, I went to Kings Cross. Um, just specifically because I just needed to go to the loo and I knew that was like the nearest free one. Um, and uh, also find something to eat. But once I finished taking photos and I was like, okay, let me get something to eat and then head to Camden. Right. I was hit by a few just. A few different phenomena. Um, phenomena is probably not the word, but whatever, right? So this woman comes up to me. Um, I'm taking a couple of photos, and she just can't. And she just, I, I turn around. She's just there. She's talking to me, and I'm like, my my earphones, my earphones in, and I'm just like, okay, just put my earphones out. What's up? And she's like, I need help, right? Um, yeah, she's just like, I need help, right? She needs food. She needs money. For a hostel, da 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 da, and I'm just like shit. <laughs> um, I I I don't know what to do here. Um, but I did it. I did it. I got some food. I gave her some money, and she was grateful. Yada yada yada. She said she came from Bul. I said, "Where'd you come from?" And she said, "She said I came from Bulgaria, but I think that she- I think she meant that in that was the most recent place she was at." Um, I don't think she was from there. I think she was from somewhere else. But Bulgaria was the most recent place she found. 
So she said she's undocumented and stuff like that, and I'm like, ah, right, fuck, I mean, shit, like, you know, genuine story. Um, but yeah, so I did that, and um, you know, I felt uh, I felt weird, right? You know, it's a good deed, right? I gave I gave her a I gave her a bed for a night, you know what I mean? Um, I felt good about that. Um, but in the moment, I just I don't know, I just felt odd um about it. And then after the show, um, after the show happened, I sat down for a bit because I sat down outside, uh, just outside Camden Town Station, uh, because I just needed to sit down for a bit. There was uh, there's usually seated in jazz cafe, but there's none anymore. Um, so yeah, I just uh, needed to sit down because I was standing on my feet for <laughs> for a few hours. So yeah, I did that. I was chilling. I was just about. To, I was literally just about to head off, and then this dude is, um, you know, sitting on another kind of like perch, so to speak, like a square perch, and he just sits next to me, um, and he tells his story. Uh, he had like a he had like a master's in physics and shit like that, and his mum recently died, and it was clear that he hadn't had a shower in a in a while, right? And that's basically what he wanted. He was like, I need to, you know, just I, I need some pee just so I can get a shower in, you know, find a, you know, have a place to sleep. And I'm like, fuck it. Well, how much do you want? Uh, he's like, a tenner. I'm like, fair enough. Let me just get his cash out. So I give him a tenner, right? Fine. And I, but I still felt weird about it. And I felt weird. And I still feel. I mean, I, f- I feel less weird about it now. But I felt weird in the moment. I felt weird until um, going home. To be honest, um, shout out to these uh, two girls that were um, that needed a charger, and I gave them my charger at the on the way back on the train back and we were just like chatting about charcuterie and <laughs> Beyonce. Um, it was a really interesting chat actually. It was really interesting. Just, I don't know, just, I don't know. it's strange, isn't it? It's just weird how you just, you have good conversations with strangers and awkward conversations with strangers. It's really weird. I just had the full spectrum throughout that day and it was just really, really weird. I did not expect my day to turn out like that. Um, but I think I came to the conclusion and I'll finish here when we'll get into the show. Um, I came to the conclusion that um, the reason I felt weird was because this shouldn't be happening. You know, this I sh- these this this dude who has a master's in physics, and you know, if you want to go ahead, and this is why I'm I'm kind of keeping I'm kind of keeping it blunt with the details, to be honest, because even when I say that, I can imagine people going, "Oh, that was bullshit, bro. You got rinsed." Da, 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 da. Right, and I feel like that's that's just not a e- it's an easy way to think you know what i mean um i didn't tell you much details about the woman that i could because i just don't want to because on top of that i just feel like if i did tell you the whole story that she told me i don't think you guys would believe it um to be honest right uh so and there's no point in there's no point in interrogating i gave the money so i've i've get i gave her some food i <laughs> i was going to go to mcdonald's anyway i got some mcdonald's right it is what it is. Um, but the reason why I didn't, I, I kept it kind of blunt there was because I feel like we're in this, in the system we're in, we're just, in, it's, it's beating into us not to give money to people, not to care for people when we don't know them, right? You know, there's con artists, right? There's people trying to hustle you, of course, right? You're going to get rinsed some uh, some days in your life. <clears throat> Maybe I did get rinsed last night. Who knows, right? But it is what it is. Um, I felt it was a good deed. I felt in my in my logic that it was on the up and up, right? Um, I I felt it was I felt it was applicable, and it's me. It was my decision. And at the end of the day, I could have said no, and I didn't, right? But I feel like we're in this system in the world where we're just just beat. It's beaten into us to just you know see people as lesser, right? Um, and I just, uh, I, th- I think that's what I was battling with throughout that night. I was just like, why do I feel weird about this? Um, because you are taught, you are told throughout your life as you grow up not to, you know, don't give them money or, you know, don't do this to, don't do this. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, if you have the pee, why not? Now, I don't have the pee, but... <laughs> So, you know, whatever, but I don't know, man. It's just, I feel like I was just, 
I, w- I was trying to unlearn something in the moment, you know what I mean? That's what I feel like I was doing, and hopefully that was the case. But it's been a few minutes. Um, let's get into the show. Let's jump right in. So I just wanted to tell that story because I feel like there's something to learn there. But um, yeah, there's, there's something to learn there, I feel. I feel. Um, just to be just be better to people, you know what I mean? And just have the benefit of the doubt for some people, uh, you know what I mean? So, um, But I can understand why people feel the same, different way. Uh, but I feel like that's more nurture more than nature. But anyway, I've, I felt like I'm learning some of that day. But anyway, it was a decent day. Interesting day, to say the least. But anyway, let's get into the show. We've got two society, sports and politics. Formats before we begin. Email, Twitter, Discord, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go pay the articles for yourselves. Give them read for yourselves. And support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where Spain suffers days of wildfires, Cineworld prepares to file for bankruptcy. Apparently the second largest cinema chain in the world. I didn't even know it was that large. Uh, European Championships finish up. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, Alexander Usyk uh, beats Andy Joshua via split decision to retain heavyweight titles. And lastly, Singapore will remove ban on gay marriage. The way I've been wanting to move to Singapore, but <laughs> just I didn't even know that was a thing. Right? I, was just, I saw that the other day. I was just like... Really? Uh, that's, cra- that's crazy. It's, uh, 2022, eh? Cra- crazy, crazy world. But anyway, we start with sports. And um, like, I te- like I said, the European Championships finished up recently. Really good. Um, and in terms of... I-, I was there for... I was there for, you know, mainly for the athletics. But they did have other stuff. You know, table tennis. Uh, I think badminton as well. Uh, lawn bowls. Uh, no, not lawn. That's Commonwealth. Sorry. Uh, diving. All the swimming. Uh, not even the swimming stuff. Uh, rock climbing, I think, speed rock climbing. That was actually kind of fire. I've seen it before, but it was actually kind of fire. I just turned it on. And I was like, oh, wow. Let's, let's spin that, and it was actually kind of fire. But, yeah, I was kind of mainly there for the athletics. And uh, in athletic circles, it was the third of three uh, major championships that happened in the past six weeks, actually. It's been a whirlwind of athletics uh, content for me personally um, and for everyone in- involved. But um, the, the, the last and kind of remaining... Uh, word on the European Championships in athletic circles was um, the uh, subject of menstruation uh, for female athletes. Um, Dina Asher-Smith, most notably, um, pulled up with cramps and uh, she said it was a hydration issue, but then she came out the day after um, uh, saying it was menstruation related. Um, And uh, I found this article, a really fascinating article uh, written by uh, Ailish McColgan, who uh, in our own right is an amazing athlete uh, re- in the in the world's current Commonwealth and Europeans, won four medals, four long distance medals um, in the 5,000 and 10,000. So um, outstanding, just <laughs> life changing six weeks for her, obviously. Um, but she came through with this column uh, called uh, Why is Menstruation Still a Taboo Subject? And I do remember um, Jasmine Sawyers, um, who's a long jumper for Britain as well. Um, talk about this a few years ago uh well not even a few years ago maybe during tokyo olympics or uh, maybe during doha in 2019 but definitely a couple years ago and um yeah it was just uh it's you know kind of it kind of raised the conversation it made the conversation the first time i actually heard of the conversation obviously i'm aware that you know women have the cycle right i'm not stupid but um you you don't i never actually thought about it I never actually thought about it in terms of women's sports and actually, you know, obviously it affects them, right? And they have to firm it um, a lot of the time. Um, We just never actually think about that. Um, So I feel like this is an important piece to read. Um, And I said, let's jump right in. This is via BBC Sport, by the way. Considering almost half the population menstruate every month, it seems odd to me that it's still such a taboo subject in 2022. Even more so with uh, the context of sport, within the context of sport. As a professional athlete, performing is our number one task. But what if our own bodies are working against us on that particular day? Dean Rashley-Smith talks about it after pulling out of the European Championships 100 metres with crabs on Tuesday. And I know firsthand how much periods can affect performance. Excuse me. Uh, before Oslo earlier this season, I'd only ever dropped out of two competitions. 
the dreaded DNF, and on both uh, both occasions, periods were the perpetrator. The only way to describe it is that my legs feel like they have been replaced with concrete blocks, and that a screwdriver is carving out the Taj Mahal around my ovaries. That's, a, that's interesting imagery. Uh, some months it's, unman- it's, unman- it's manageable, uh, other months it's unbearable. There's no telling which Alish you're going to get on the day. To try and run or at least perform to the best of my ability is an almost impossible task. And after a bad result, I get eaten alive on social media by armchair critics giving their theories as to why I'm the failure. As a youngster, I used to suffer excruciating cramps every month to the point where my body would go into a fever and start vomiting. Flashing from hot to cold, I would have a full day in bed feeling like death before waking up the following morning as if nothing had happened. I went to the doctors and they prescribed me the pill. It made me feel rotten. I was crying almost every day and snapping at the smallest of arguments. Considering I was really emotional, it felt like a large swing in personality. I didn't feel, I didn't like the way I felt or the person the hormones were manipulating me to be. I quickly stopped the medication. For the next decade, I got on with it as best I could. As I got older, the vomiting stopped and my symptoms eased. Life was manageable, but as I transitioned into elite athletics, the struggle became more evident as it translated into performances. In 2019, while at a meeting in California, I posted on Instagram about how my periods had caused me to DNF. I couldn't believe the overwhelmingly positive response uh, from other women. Many felt they were alone in this issue, and it wasn't, uh, and as it wasn't something Olympic athletes spoke, spoke about, most assumed it didn't affect us. Good point. That's exactly where I was coming from on that front. Uh, I remember the race so vividly because I had paid a lot of money to attend. International flights, accommodation, and race entry. It all added up to a pretty sum. But it would all be worth it to get a shot at qualifying for the upcoming world championships. My period was a little delayed because of the long-haul travel. Brackets, another factor female athletes need to consider on brackets. So, of course, it decided to announce its time arrival while I was warming up for the race. I took a load of ibuprofen uh, to settle my stomach cramps and shuffled over to the start line. I felt like Shamu the whale and dropped out after just five laps of a 25-lap race. I remember thinking, what a waste of money, and really beating myself up. These qualifying races in the United States are notoriously late in the evening, too late for any restaurants to be open, but we trekked a couple of miles to the nearest drive through McDonald's. We literally said a prayer as we arrived, but reality came knocking when they wouldn't serve us without a car. I sat in the car park at stupid o'clock in the morning and cried. Cried because we didn't have a car and because they wouldn't serve us a Big Mac. Luckily, on our way home, we found a 24-hour grocery store. I bought a family-sized cake and it was worth every cent of the $8.99 it cost me. It still fascinates me that a large majority of women struggle with their menstrual cycles every month. And yet no one seems to have the answers. Even now, the research in regards to sport, especially, is sparse. I presume it would be addressed in far more detail if it affected men, especially our top male athletes. Can you imagine how many Premier League footballers would be left on the bench, curled up into a wee ball, she's Scottish by the way, so hence the wee, uh, just waiting for the full-time whistle to be blown so they can go home and sleep. I don't know why I said that, but I don't know. <laughs> she's Scottish. Uh, periods can also uh, be an added injury risk. Muscle and tendon injuries are far greater, and it's the reason why many of women's teams in sports such as hockey and football are now accommodating their athlete cycles within their training programs. I know some sprinters, such as Dina, completely avoid gym work because of it. In an event where power is king, I imagine it's hugely frustrating to have having to adapt your schedule every single month. But that's reality. A few years ago, I made the mistake of training too hard during a certain phase of my cycle and ended up tearing my hamstring. It was a lesson I learned the hard way, but I hope the younger generation can learn from it. In 2019, when I brought up how frustrating it is for periods to coincide with a major competition, a man replied on Twitter. Oh, a man. <laughs> I like it when they just... <laughs> a man. Oh, I can only imagine what he said. His solution <laughs> was to not bother competing when it's my time in the month and just schedule another race. As if I could simply call up the Olympic Games and ask them to move my event to the following week to fit my cycle. The mind boggles sometimes, but it also just shows me the complete lack of awareness that some people have. This shouldn't be an embarrassing topic. Coaches, physiotherapists, teachers, parents, partners and friends, they all play a role in making this an open dialogue. We need to feel comfortable having this discussion. A few professional athletes I've spoken to have stopped uh, taking the hormonal pill after several years. They want to feel more in control of their bodies and to track their natural cycle. 
If an individual is overtraining or underfueling, the menstrual cycle is often the first thing to disappear. At least by taking a period, as much as I hate it, it gives me it gives some reassurance that the body is healthy and in a good energy balance. That is one of the most important messages I want to get across to younger athletes. One of the best things I ever did was open up the conversation, not only between other professional athletes, but also online, to a larger community of women, sharing experiences, listening to others and taking advice. There is still a lot of trial and error in finding what works for each individual, but I personally feel much more educated on the subject than ever before. I still don't have all the answers I need, but I'll continue to keep that conversation open for the next generation of young female athletes in the hope that one day we do. That's a really just um that's a really uh well written, well thought out and uh, very measured um uh, column from uh, Miss McColgan there. And um yeah, I feel like it's a really it feels it feels refreshing, I think um on my side just um bringing a subject like this up because I don't think I do um I I don't I don't, factually I don't because why would I I'm a dude it doesn't relate to me um but uh, I watch athletics um some most of the time I prefer watching the women uh for various reasons um and uh mainly just because there's <laughs> some you know for 100 meters for example I feel like 100 meters in the female ranks is just way better than the males right now I feel I feel it's more, there's more competition there. There's more interesting storylines there. Um, but, you know, for others, I prefer the males. Like, um, you know, watching male long distance, for for example. I prefer watching that. Uh, I prefer watching uh, male 800, for example. Just throwing that out there. Long jump. Not even long jump. But that's, probably, that's pretty equal, I think. But anyway, I'm chatting shit. But anyway, it's interesting... Um, this whole topic, obviously, and uh, I'm very surprised it's only taken until the past couple of years to really actually talk about this um, in 2022, man. Like, like, women have been, you know, participating in sport for, I think, like 100 years now. I don't know. I forgot when uh, they started doing it in the Olympics. I think it was the 20s, if I remember correctly. Uh, but yes, yeah, you know, women have been in sport in some fashion for hundreds of, ye- hundreds of years, but, you know, more. More re- more modern times, a hundred years, and uh, with Title Nine in America, a few a, a few lesser decades, obviously. But regardless of that, I just I just find it weird that if you if you're it, there's male people in women's sport, right? So why wouldn't they bring it up? You know what I mean? If you're a male coach or a male physiotherapist, why would that never be brought up um, in in circles? Why was that? I just find it weird that it's never talked about. Um, and, you know, similar to what Asia McColgan's saying, why is it a taboo subject? And I, I generally believe that. Why is... I, I, I echo that. Why is it a taboo subject? Um, you know, I, I'm not expecting, you know, people to be talking about it daily. I'm not expecting men to be talking about it daily. It's like, um, are you on your period? Like just, just asking questions. Where are you on your cycle? I'm not expecting men to be interested like that. But... If you're into women's sport like I am, um, especially in athletics for me personally, um, I feel like that is a that is something that they can they they should uh, that they should be able to be taught to the they should be able to talk about um, if they miss a race or whatever. So like, what happened? Oh, period. <laughs> All right, conversation over. Like <laughs> it's not even it's it is what it is um you know it's not an excuse it's a like like Asia Colgan said she stopped taking the pill f- just because it gives the athlete more control and it's a good indicator of health um obviously you know periods are not just bleeding it's, it's other things it's it, there's reasons for it plenty of reasons for it um but anyway not to make it a science lesson um, shout out to Asia McColgan, shout out to Dean Rasher Smith, shout out to Jasmine Sawyers, and everyone just talking about it. And uh, hopefully, it just becomes more less of a taboo for you know, just, just get over it. <laughs> I mean, it's is, is a, it's a, it's a fact of life for uh, the women have periods. So. Speaking 
Speaking of things that are painful and uh, and hurt people um, and make make people want to vomit, Michael Gove. Um, so he's uh, quitting front bench politics. Good for him. Um, but I saw this article uh, via satirical uh, political sketch writer, sorry, uh, for the Independent, uh, Mr. Tom Peck, and uh, he had a little uh, little uh, opinion piece on uh, Michael Gove, and I. Uh, I, I don't know. I just felt like shitting on Michael Gove because I feel like he should be shat on. Um, I feel like his legacy as a politician, and I feel like this always happens with politicians where, you know, they they and didn't. <laughs> it's funny. Not not the relate. Not the uh, compares or anything. So I don't think Michael Gove is as bad as as this person just for the sake he's not a fucking warmonger. Or maybe he is, but he just never got the opportunity to. Um, but uh, George Bush has a masterclass on leadership. That's just. <laughs> Okay, um, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in right there. Um, but yes, uh, just I feel like politicians once they retire, they get they have a good light shined on them a lot of the time, uh, especially in Western media, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, uh, well, even uh, well, biased media. Let's say that it's not obviously you know obviously Western politician uh, Western media praises Western politicians, and I'm sure they do everywhere else in the world. Um, they they put a sh- they shine a light on them as well, uh, re- regardless of where you are. Um, but I can't let it slide. I can't let it slide. An opportunity to shit on Michael Gove this is the only opportunity I have, so I want to do it. So let's go into it. Um, it's called uh, let's not re- rewrite history. Uh, by the way, uh, Michael Gove's legacy is one of breathtaking shamelessness. So let's jump right in. The political obituaries to Michael Gove might uh, to Mike like. Might like those of Mark Twain uh, proved to have uh, been somewhat premature. For what it's worth, Twain never actually said reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated, uh, but that only makes the comparison more prescient. Uh, there are men- there are a great many things uh, Twain was meant to have said, but never in fact did. It is similar with Gove, but not quite the same. All the things Michael Gove is meant to have said, he did say. It's just that almost none of them are true. Gove announced the end of his 11-year run in frontline politics via a column in the Times, ruthlessly attacking Liz Truss. If it really is to be the end for Gove, it will have been the same for re- same reason uh, as Johnson, which is that no normal, sane member of the public could possibly believe a word he says. If it is to, if it is not to be the end for Gove, then it's the same point only becomes more important. Since his announcement, the usual newspapers and pundits have lit up with the usual sanctimony. Gove was apparently the great doer, the man who made things happen. See, see, they're doing it already. They do already. It's crazy how they just, how they just. It's not. If they, if he died, then I'd kind of get it. But he's alive. He's just quitting front. Li- he's not even quitting politics. He's quite, quitting frontline politics. So, like, you don't have re. Like, be fucking critical. You- Dick suckers, bro. It's crazy. Dick riding crazy, bro. Anyway, uh, the difference between Gove and most of his political colleagues, we are told, is that Gove actually cared about people, trapped in unsellable flats with unsafe cladding, or failing schools, or languishing in prison with no hope of rehabilitation. That's what made him stand out. You might think that that sort of thing... uh, I I hate when uh, sentences have that twice. I know it's fine, but it's just annoying. Uh, sort of thing, might be the bare minimum anyone should have the right to expect from a democratically elected government. But after a punishing decade and counting in Tory Britain, these qualities that should absolutely be taken for granted are enough to make a man suitable for be- uh, beatification. Beatification? Okay. Uh, for those of us blessed to know Michael Gove only from the outside, through, say, the words he has said and things he has done in public, his main quality is a far less rare commodity in 2022, is breathtaking shamelessness. His main attack on this trust is that her campaign has been, quote, on holiday from reality, unquote. We can only assume Gove knows her in his role as general manager of the Fantasy Island Resort, where he has gladly welcomed her off the pier and has uh, had and had her bag sent upstairs to the Prime Ministerial Suite. It is highly disappointing that the Tory party leadership election has had to come at a time when the country has been gripped by so many sim- simultaneous crises, it is doubly, doubly disappointing uh, that neither of the candidates appear to have the guts to address them, and both are focusing instead on the parochial, I love that word, it's spelt weirdly, but I like it, I like saying it, parochial, uh, slightly deranged concerns of the parochial, slightly deranged Tory members. 
more parochial, please. Uh, nevertheless, Liz Truss is in campaign mode. Michael Gove knows this place well. If he is remembered for one public statement and one alone, it was when in 2016, Faisal Islam on Sky News patiently put him uh, put to him all of the economic forecasts that the exit would do great harm to the UK economy. And he all he could manage uh, was to talk over him and say that, quote, the people have had enough of experts, unquote. I I I did I forgot about that and um yeah now I'm now I'm now I'm sad again. It was almost as low as that campaign uh, got the deliberate overtalking of reality, the desperate retreat into populism to say absolutely anything to do with absolutely anything to win the fight, whatever the appalling consequences of the way uh, in which it was done. He had no problem at all with standing in front of posters showing shadowy footprints stepping in across a map of Europe from Turkey to the UK. The reality was even more shameless than that. He had been a privy council member and therefore knew the pre- precise and complex situation with the Turkish EU accession at the time. He knew that Cameron could not publicly claim that he would use his veto on Turkish accession because Turkey was a crucial NATO security partner at the time when ISIS was rampant in the Middle East and the Mediterranean was in the grip of a migrant crisis with which Turkey's cooperation was needed. Having already done his best to talk down the truth about the exit's economic self-harm, his next step was to knowingly exploit his own secret knowledge about his country's national security in order to frighten people to vote for him with xenophobic lies. After victory, Gove did his level best to distance himself from his own actions. From 24th of June 2016 onwards, the exit had made the UK more welcoming to immigrants. Uh, more welcoming in, in, in uh, quote marks, by the way. Because the numbers have risen, um, if you if you guys are unaware, it had apparently transformed attitudes. There is some evidence to back this up. But if Britain, uh, after the referendum, suddenly became the Good Samaritan, only a man as shameless as Gove could take the credit, knowing that his role had been to beat up the beggar in the first place. Gove's various holidays from reality make him look like a man still backpacking around Thailand in his fifties. By his standards of reality, avoiding tourism, Truss has has barely managed a weekend in Skegness. His main speech on the exit in April 2016 quite possibly stands alone as the most absurd in British political history. It was then he, that he assured would-be exit voters regarding the triggering of Article 50 that, quote, no responsible government would hit the start button on a two-year legal process without preparing appropriately, unquote. He would, just over a year later, gladly joined the government that had done precisely that. A few weeks later, he would spend his victory lap concluding that actually Boris Johnson was not fit to be Prime Minister and sabotaged his campaign. He was, of course, absolutely correct, since Johnson became Prime Minister anyway in 2019, and Gove, Gove gladly served in his cabinet for a full three for three full years. The research party into Gove's lofty principles has not reported back. He may as well have been an effective minister, but it weighs not a, not a feather in the balance. Excuse my dog barking, by the way. I can't be asked to stop and tend the sharp. If you choose to believe his claim that he really is that he really is finished, and there is no true re, truly no reason to believe anything he says, then his legacy is abundantly clear. He banjaxed his country's economy in a paroxysm of Spitfire nationalism. God, that's a banger sentence right there. Banjack's paroxysm, spitfire nationalism, fuck you know, spitfire nationalism, that's a really good term, I like that, uh, the consequences are millions of tons of fruit and vegetables rotting in British fields that no one wants to pick, an irreconcilable problem in Northern Ireland for which the only actual solution that works might, in the fullness of time, end up being the reunification, yes, please do it, please do it, families spending the first day of their holidays queuing to board ferries for 20 hours or more, and a general sense of a country divided into groups that still loathe each other more than half a decade later. If code should be remembered as some kind of bright spark in a dark and punishingly long Tory night, well, it will be uh, <laughs> will only be his friends that do so. There is a reason he is not running in this race. He is wise enough to know that, generally speaking, the people loathe him. There is at least a chance they've got it right. Yeah, can we be more vocal on the loathing, please? That'd be great. Um, but yeah, fuck Michael Gove. Um, I was in the education system when he was education secretary, and um, that's when I started. He was like the first guy I 
truly despised because um, he, he was just he was just taking a, a hammer to everything education that's that's kind of I have to thank him in some way because that's where my crusade on education reform um, that I do on this podcast now and again is, is come is emanated from um, I I saw on the ground you know as I was one of those kids that were taking those fucking tests and shit like that um was watching was watching it all go down and I was you know and I started watching that's when I started getting into the news and looking up like education news and every time his name came up it was something some bullshit and then he started doing the exit shit and I was just like oh my gosh he's wow he's actually a horrible human being he's actually a piece of shit um not that I should be surprised obviously in hindsight but it's just crazy how the lengths he took um to get the exit done is crazy um just but and and his face is punchable but there's there's that but you know that's subjective um <laughs> but objectively he's he was a shit politician um but then again how do you define shit um i define it in uh in in helping the people um but obviously a lot of politicians don't go off that mo so in some ways he's an incredibly successful politician in some people's eyes but in mine he's a total piece of shit You know who's taking a hammer to those pieces of shit? Our boy Mick Lidge. <laughs> I'm liking these segues on this. Great, I should try and do it more often. But uh, is what it is. I, I just, I just, this is a good combination of articles, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I found this a uh, good interview uh, with Mick Lynch uh, via uh, the Guardian uh, by Zoe Williams, uh, who is a guy columnist. And um, yeah, she's just, uh, it's just really good. I just wanted to gas Mick Lynch up one time, once more. Um, I think it's like the third time I've been gassing him. Um, but yeah, the strikes continue. Um, the uh, he he did say on on politics, Joe of all places. Um, it's just recently become more just prevalent in my life for some reason. Um, it's just been doing some really good stuff, and I actually did like a video. It was like an hour with uh, Mick Lynch and Eddie Dempsey, um, both for the RMT. Or I don't think is Eddie. Lynch in the RMT? I forget. Eddie MC in the RMT? I forget. But anyway, um, they but yeah, they just asked him questions about stuff, and it was an, just an hour of just really good chat. It was like in a pub, and it was just really good. I wish they did that more. Wish people did that those kind of videos more often. Um, but yeah, uh, this is kind of like half interview, you know, uh, and you know, just getting the vibes and stuff like that, and just more from him because I don't think I've done a piece where it's like him. But more people guessing him, so I kind of want to see. I want. I want something that has his voice on it, and this one does. So, uh, this is called uh, "You Don't Think Strikes Are the Answer." What is uh, RMT's Mick Lynch on work, dignity, and union power? Uh, so, strap right. It is rare these days for the general secretary of a trade union, let alone a small one, to become a national figure. Yet Mick Lynch has done exactly that. The leader of the National Union of Rail, Maritime, and Transport Workers (RMT) which represents uh, 80,000 members, doesn't like flattery. Nonetheless, as a rail strikes in Britain enter the third month, he will concede that, quote, a lot of people are telling me I'm doing good, unquote. I meet, in, uh, meet him in the RMT's boardroom, round the corner from Euston Station in central London, where the RMT recently had a 1,000 people turn up at very short notice to support a picket line in the dispute uh, between railway workers and network rail. Lynch looks, in his own words, like, quote, the personification of what an RMT general secretary is. White male, bald, 60. He is making the point that he hopes the RMT will be more diverse in the future. He also looks like a man in charge at the moment, relaxed, with an easy sense of humour. I can't think of a time in my life when that has been the stereotype of a trade unionist. He has shot to prominence by going on TV and radio and ri- running rings around everyone. Piers Morgan tried the most uh, ridiculous attack line. Why did he have a picture of a Thunderbirds baddie as his Facebook profile? Was it because he is a villain? And uh, yeah, that was, that was amazing. If you haven't seen that yet, this oh, glorious couple of minutes. Lynch's detached, almost amused scorn spoke uh, for many of us, not just about Piers Morgan, but also about how long we have been putting up with media culture that means you can find 17 stories about the orphan slash pensioner slash dog who had their day ruined by a rail strike. But if you want a sober explanation of what the strike is about, you will have more luck on TikTok. 
uh, oh, great, <laughs> is about whether railway workers will accept what the RMT says is a real terms pay cut over the next two years, plus the loss of one third of frontline maintenance roles and half of uh, scheduled maintenance work. In short, they will not. Quote, the state of journalism, he says, shaking his head, the questions they ask are so dot dot dot, he chooses words carefully, dopey. They obviously don't know what trade unions are. They think that we are all uh, these cliches that they uh, perpetuate. I'm a baron. My members are pawns. I can just move them about according to who I want to annoy that morning, which is completely the wrong way around. Unions are very democratic. It sounds a bit pompous, but the members are sovereign in this union. They tell us what to do, unquote. The traditional attacks on striking transport workers, uh, that they are out to stop hard-working people getting to work, that they are better paid than you anyway, are failing to land. A poll during the strikes in June showed that 70% of the public supported the railway workers getting a pay rise that took into, the account, uh, took into account the cost of living. The classic convoluted centre-left position held by Labour, that the demands are fair but strikes are bad, has come unstuck. The same poll uh, found that only 18% of people were opposed to railway workers' right to strike. Quote, The Bishop of Durham was on a panel with me last week saying, I identify with the issues, but I don't think strike action is the answer. Lynch says, <clears throat> but what is the answer? Do we pray or play tiddlywinks or have a sponsored silence? What is there for working people to do if they're not organised? Something has changed. Conservative MPs' insistence that railway workers' conditions are pretty good actually is no longer provoking knee-jerk resentment. It is generating solidarity. At the launch, part, launch rally last week for the cost of living campaign, Enough is Enough, Lynch brought the house down. Quote, Our message must be this, dot dot dot, the working class is back. He said, uh, We refuse to be meek, we refuse to be humble, we refuse to wait for politicians and policy writers, and we refuse to be poor anymore. Today, he says, they, the Tories, are saying, Because you've got the final salary pension, uh, because you've got sick pay and decent holiday pay, because you've got the ability to negotiate and not just be consulted on your working time and working practices, that's all out of date. You're out of fashion. Everybody else in the country at fulfillment centres or mega warehouses where they chase you around night and day, there's no dignity in work. Here, uh, in the in the work is saying, well, why am I treated like this? Why can't I have a union? Unquote. Lynch had no great ambition to lead the RMT, he says. I didn't want Bob uh, Crow, a lefty firebrand who died at 52 in 2014 a heart attack, to pass on. And I didn't want Mick Cash to have to retire last year, but he did. So we're here. I didn't become an officer in this union until I was 54. I didn't have a trade union career. I was out doing my shifts. I was out. I was on the tools for 37 years as an electrician, unquote. Lynch has never been on a trade union course. He says there is nothing special about him or the way he argues. Quote, there is lots of people <clears throat> uh, who could be in my position doing what I'm doing. And that's what they find so shocking. Middle class journalists present company ex accept accepted. Yeah, accepted. Uh, yeah, accepted that they meet somebody who might have read something in their own time or is able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with senior people in the industry while being on the tools, unquote. He was born in Paddington, West London, to Irish parents. He was a big family. He was one of five, with no money. His father, a shop uh, steward, went on to strike for seven weeks in 1971, Excuse me, and, hit on the, and, and the hit on their income was unimaginable. He says he didn't notice because he was the youngest and his siblings shielded him from it. Quote, but you weren't indebted. That was the key difference in working class communities. People now are carrying debt that my parents would have uh, thought that is impossible. Unquote. He left school at 16 and did an apprenticeship. He rattles through his brothers and sisters' work, a painter, decorator, a teacher, a plasterer, a midwife, to illustrate that the horizons were fairly broad, especially with free tertiary education. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of jobs and the workplace was quite attractive before Margaret Thatcher came to power. His childhood was happy, he says, quote, I've got no complaints. We were a coherent family. My mum and dad didn't split up. None of us went to prison. We weren't in trouble. We were a respectable family. But from my memory, uh, there were a lot of families like that. Everyone paints working class communities as being in crisis the whole time, as if there's no sense of humour, there is no fun or joy, unquote. He worked in construction until he was blacklisted for union organising, at which point he moved to the railways. As happy as he is to talk about the casualisation uh, of the building industry, he is careful to underline that the declining conditions are a problem for everyone. Quote, in your industry, journalism, people who are stringers or casualized find it very difficult. 
in universities, there's no security whatsoever for early careers, lecturers and researchers increasingly require a rehire uh, for mid-career academics. People are beholden to whoever's doling out the work, unquote. The reasons for this have to do with more than the kind of unionization, he says. People have lost the ability to organize generally, I think, even in communities. Where I grew up, there was a residence association which had some of the most fearsome women you'd ever deal with, working class women, who could stand up and articulate in front of councillors exactly the services they wanted, unquote. Uh, then there is the fact that we are t- fact we are two generations on from Thatcher. A lot of people, uh, working people, aren't old enough to remember the assumptions of uh, the mid-80s when, quote, you'd expect a level of dignity, you respected people for being workers, and you had, uh, to, had to respect workers' organisations, dot, dot, dot. People have been told that they should be grateful for having a job, grateful for earning a living. They've been told that if you can't earn enough in one job, to go and get a second job, unquote. But you could argue that Tony Blair was even more influential than Thatcher in terms of outsourcing and subcontracting on a huge scale. Now, the NHS, TfL, and many other employers get their cleaners from a third party, while local authorities subcontract their housing duties to housing associations and their social care duties to exploitative providers. The results have been catastrophic for working and living conditions. In the care sector, for example, you will find workers paid the minimum wage in 15 segments and expected to provide uh, the car and fuel to get them from one appointment to the next, yet they don't strike, quote, because it affects people who need their care, unquote. Plus, of course, poverty wages strip away the option of foregoing pay. On this point, he has a gripe about the EU, quote, everyone told us the European Union would solve all this. This riles me a bit. However, we got here. Uh, it wasn't via Brussels. The RMT was a pro-exit union. It's not affiliated uh, to Labour and can't be held uh, responsible for the party's fudge. But it's but it still contributed, I think, to the split on the left over the exit that left Boris Johnson looking like the one with the answers. He deflects that. The RMT is a small union. It wasn't that influential. In any case, he still opposes the EU for its lack of democratic levers. I'm not, but I'm not making the point about remain or leave. Frankly, I find all that tedious now. The point I'm making is that we can't wait for court judgments and policy decisions. What I'm trying to encourage was Sharon Graham, the General Secretary of Unite, and Dave Ward, the General Secretary of the Communication Workers Union, and others, is we've got to put the industrial flag up, unquote. The RMT's next campaign will be for cleaners in the transport industry. Lynch wants to get other unions involved for cleaners in the NHS and beyond. The long game is to, quote, punch a hole in subcontracting and make it really expensive. It means uh, it's a means of exploitation and people are fed up. Labour have got to say we believe in how uh, in in-house work. Unquote. He rattles off a list of other things the opposition should say and low pay and housing crisis with municipality run uh, municipally run muni- with municipally run municipally owned council homes uh, and food poverty. Quote. You've got to get uh, people to identify with you through values. He shrugs off Keir Starmer's proposal to freeze the energy price cap as if insufficiently radical. That's going to cost £60 billion. Uh, so we're going to take that money off ourselves and give it to those companies to subsidise the price they're charging uh, the people they're getting the money off. Unquote. He would rather the government sequestered North Sea gas and capped the wholesale price. I'll run this past a friend later who remarks uh, sarcastically, it worked for Hugo Chavez. The Venezuelan president nationalized important industries in the 2000s, uh, but by the time of his death in 2013, the country was struggling with high inflation and endless shortages. But socialist chaos looks a lot less scary in the middle of a crisis of late-stage capitalism. Lynch was attacked in various newspapers last week as a Putin apologist after accusing the EU of empire building and saying, quote, there were a lot of corrupt politicians in Ukraine. Uh, that was true before Vladimir Zelensky, uh, but has also been one of Putin's attack lines. It is hard not to see it as a response to his popularity in an attempt to discredit him, but he is sanguine about it. And I will say, as a side note, um, uh, Ukraine recently triggered um, something where uh, they basically just created uh, workers' rights. Um, so there is that uh, for, for for notes. Um, I think they got that on Open Democracy. Um, so if you want to go peep that, um, go hit that, hit that site, because uh, I know they talked about it. That's where I first saw it. And international magazine as well. Uh, quote: Anyone that knows me in this organization, uh, in this organization, knows that I am condemn that I condemn the Soviet Union. I thought it was a murderous death cult. <laughs> I never played any, uh, with any of the symbolism of red stars and hammers and sickles. 
All oppressive regimes, without exception, are oppressive of workers and peasants. And then people tell me I'm a Putin apologist. I'm not. Putin should stop the war, get out of Ukraine, and respect the sovereignty of that nation. Unquote. It is unrealistic at this point to think that we can avoid a Liz Truss government, however long it lasts. She has promised uh, to go to war with unions, pledging legislation within 30 days to curb union powers. Grant Shapps, the transport secretary, has chimed in to threaten redundancies. Quote, so they're escalating the battle. We're going to have to respond in kind. But this will need a union-wide response. It needs the Labour Party because they are the movement. Uh, we're going to need the support of the community and the whole of Britain's public opinion. Uh, we've got to be bigger than my trade union because we're not able to do this on our own. And yeah, um, just the fact that um, it's actually going to go that way is crazy to think about, especially with just everything going on. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just genuinely trying to tally up in my head and just trying to mentally forecast with all the information I've been given over the past few months about cost of living, about unions, about energy bills, etc., etc. At this point, I'm just wondering how many people are going to die this winter. <laughs> I, it's it's crazy. It's 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 morbid to think about, but that's just what comes to mind all the time for me now. It's just um, none of the proposals from Liz Truss, from uh, from what Johnson's implemented, from what Rishi Sunak's promised, uh, from what Lib Dems have offered, and even what Labour's offered, none of them cover the amount needed um, to cure some of these ills. It's it's absurd. <laughs> just I I just don't understand where these people are coming from like you see the you see the price there you see the numbers try and get to that number please because jesus christ is uh it's it's getting more and more depressing to to look at um and now i just can't help it i just can't help just thinking how many people are going to die because they ain't got like they have to decide between food and heat now it's really depressing and I feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better. And, um, you know, shout out to Mick Lynch for, you know, doing his part. He's, he's gone above and beyond in terms of, you know, what he's what he's been doing. But, Jesus Christ, there is just so much to, to, to battle here. So we finish off with um, the second society um, segment, and uh, this is about uh, skin whitening products. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, um, uh, maybe in passing, maybe not as a segment, uh, but I have talked about it before, and um, it's a it's a very toxic, uh, just all over all over that shop is uh, just a toxic thing. Uh, why black women use it? Um, all of that. It's just even this. Um, even this image I'm looking at right now, the feature image is just. It just it just doesn't. If it, it fucks me up to think just looking at it like this is. It says um, Grazia, uh, 19 from Bradford was not recognised by her father after whitening skin, and she looks like a different person. It freaks me out to think about. Um, like I. Ah oh, man, and it's a billion-dollar industry. Like it's this anyway. But um, lamenting aside, and just uh, uh, you know, just existentialism aside. But um, I found this article uh, via the Voice. Um, I don't know who it's written by. It says Starfryer, so you know, whatever on that front, whoever wrote it, shout out. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's called Rising Deadly Skin Whitening Product Sales. So uh, yeah, I mean. Now, now it's now it's harmful. You know what I mean? It's just like it's deadly in a, in one way. Um, but you know, obviously, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's actually it's actually deadly now. Like proper, like burning people's skins off and shit like that. But anyway, let's get into it. Popular bleaching bleaching products such uh, uh such contain life uh, threatening ingredients like mercury uh, are increasing in some African states and are being sold under the counter in UK and hair beauty shops. Toxic ingredients such as mercury steroids and hydroquinone quinone yeah quinone uh, were significantly common in bleaching products sold in african nation countries causing severe side effects 
The Congolese manufacturer cream Caro Light contained 4.6% of the chemical hydroquine, hydroquinone, fucking I can't talk, more than uh, twice as strong as prescribed medicine containing hydroquinone licensed by a UK doctor. Side effects include, uh, side effects on the skin include thinning skin, recurring bacterial and fungal infections, stretch marks, spider veins, itching and skin cancer. It can also uh, cause offensive body odour, kidney and liver injury. Psychological effects such as depression, psychosis and anxiety were also reported to uh, the adverse skin effects of skin lining products. And there's a picture here of just, um, yeah, just someone in uh, Senegal and her fucking shins red. It's uh, crazy. Um, Dr. Anita Benson, a Nigerian dermatologist and founder of the NGO Embrace Melanin Initiative, uh, which actively fights against colorism and uh, harmful skin whitening practices in Africa, recalled several patients with adverse effects from skin whitening products. She wrote, she told The Voice, quote, the most serious case I've, uh, I have seen uh, was when a patient was diagnosed with kidney disease due to the use of mercury-containing skin whitening agents. The patient didn't make it. I have encountered patients with exogenous ochronosis, uh, pigmentary disorder, wide and deep stretch marks uh, and skin so thin it couldn't hold a suture, a surgical thread used to repair cuts. And uh, several cases of severe acne, all related to long-term use of skin lightening agents, unquote. <sighs> the skin lightening products um, market was primarily aimed at African, Asian and Middle Eastern countries and is estimated to reach $16.414 billion in the next eight years. There you go, I told you. According to research published earlier this year. According to market research by Report Linker, uh, the growth of the skin whitening uh, market is due to widespread uh, internet access across different nations as well as uh, the growing disposable income. Growing up in Nigeria, Benson was teased, discriminated against, and even give, and given unwanted skin bleaching advice because of her dark skin. For Benson, colorism was the root of anti-blackness. Mercury steroids and hydroquinone uh, were banned from cosmetic products in Europe and other, uh, various other countries worldwide. Yet the black market in Africa continued to thrive despite government restrictions. Quote, they, the black markets, can be accessed from the comfort of your home as long as you have a phone with access to the internet and a debit slash credit card, Benson explains. The internet is rife with beauty vendors and many markets. Shops and pharmacies sell them freely despite the restrictions. Unquote. Benson advised people to read the fine print and not purchase uh, skin lighting products which, uh, which do not have the active ingredients listed on them. 137 nations are part of the UN Minamata Convention on Mercury Agreement, uh, which is global treaty to protect human health from adverse effects of mercury. Among the members are 35 African countries, yet the continent is still flooded with mercury-containing uh, skin lighteners. Mercury salts have been commonly used in bleaching products as it offered a cheap alternative to herbs and vitamins with comparable effects. It blocks the production of melanin, leading to lighter skin. The sale of toxic skin whitening products is not exclusively restricted to African, Asian or Middle Eastern countries. They're also available in beauty shops all over Britain. For Safi George, skin bleaching was more than a habit, it was an addiction. George used uh, various illegal bleaching creams every day for 10 years, spending more than £200 a month buying products. She bought the products from local beauty shops, quote, It's like taking drugs. It's not easy to tell someone to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop taking drugs, she said in an interview with BBC. Eventually, she was hospitalized for a week due to extreme, extreme scarring and burning. George would have lost her life if she didn't seek medical assistance. Quote, when I saw her, she was a completely a white woman. I was shocked. I could not believe it, her sister Tutu said. Uh, another woman was not recognized by her father after bleaching creams for over a decade. Many independent beauty shops in Britain were fined thousands of pounds after selling illegal and dangerous bleaching goods under the counter. Uh, Jasper Singh, a uh, principal enforcement officer for the Slough Borough Council, conducted a search of the shop Beauty World in 2021. Quote, we got an anonymous tip-off, probably from a customer, and they made us aware that they were selling skin lightening products from under the counter, Singh explains. The trading officers confiscated two evidence bags full of prescriptions, only creams, uh, prescriptions only creams, and skin lighteners which can turn the skin blue. The fuck? This is really jarring me. I don't know why it's jarring me so much. Um, because I I don't know. Maybe because like I, I I just I just can't imagine that level of 
you know, let's let's be real, self hatred to do that. Um, and it makes me sad to think about that someone has that issue in their brain where they, where they have to do that and they have to go to that length. It's it's scary to think about. Um, quote: It's called Beauty World, but actually they sell products which can harm you and affect your beauty in a negative way. That's ironic, Singh says. The shop owners were fined £11,600 in order to pay the council costs of £7,700. Big brands such as L'Oreal, Unilever and Johnson Johnson offer products that don't cause harmful effects but have been accused of anti-blackness through marketing. Uh, Amina Meyer, uh, assistant professor of sociology at Carleton University in Canada, uh, said that high-end products may be seen as a safer option but these products still communicate whiteness as an aspiration for darker-skinned women. Maya, the author of 2019 book Wellness in Whiteness, Biomedicalization and the Promotion of Whiteness and Youth Among Women, that's a long-ass title, uh, said L'Oreal, Unilever and J&J advertising had been criticised for years. Unilever pro, uh, produces popular skin lightening product Fair and Lovely, often thought, as a, uh, thought of as a bleaching cream by black and Asian communities. An Indian Fair and Lovely TV ad showed a brown-skinned woman failing to secure a job yeah, once she used the bleaching cream, she found uh, work and approval of men. Uh, of course she did. Uh, research links skin bleaching practices uh, to wanting to feel beautiful, accepted, successful, or more attractive to the opposite sex. Maya said that for the skin lightening industry to change, pressure must come from the customers, holding companies accountable for their racism. Quote, one thing those companies cannot afford is bad PR. Uh, said Maya, is crucial to uncover the cri- uh, the crude, the kind of crude uh, 19th century racism uh, that they're recycling in their marketing, she said in an interview with News Decoder. In light of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, the companies faced backlash for their racism and double standards. They claimed to support racial injustice in Western countries and thus sold a- and advertised skin lightening products in the global south. Johnson Johnson has since discontinued its two skin lightening lines, Neutrogena Fine Fairness, advertised in the Middle East, and clean and clearer fairness collections sold in Asia. Quote, Some product names um, or, cl- or claims on our dark spot reducer products uh, represent fairness as, or white as better than your own unique skin tone. This was never our intention. Healthy skin is beautiful skin, J&J said. L'Oreal and Unilever removed the words fair, white and light from their products in advertising to ce- uh, celebrate the diversity of beauty. A petition to ban fair and lovely organized by former Unilever employee Hira Hashami Hashmi, sorry, uh, gathered over 16k signatures. Unilever changed the name Fair and Lovely to Glow and Lovely to stop. <laughs> this is the, this is the, okay. Let me finish. I'll, I'll get to. I'll, I'll 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 have a rant in a second. Uh, Maya is skeptical of rebranding efforts. She said terms like Glow allow companies to continue. There we go. Continue to idealize whiteness under the banner of wellness and skincare like you're not re- you're not changing the fucking product it's still the same product but you d- you just removed a fucking word it's still skin lightening you're still whitening skin like and you're still encouraging that shit you just name it. you're just putting it under a different banner you like it should be gone it shouldn't exist fuck me right last paragraph let's finish benson is dissatisfied with with this performative change agreed uh quote it doesn't promote blackness if the anti-blackness Ingredients in the products are still the same. Hello, there we go. It's like using euphemisms. There was a lot of negativity associated with the term bleaching, so people started to use the term fairness. Now glow is the new buzzword for the same agents, unquote. It just pisses me off, man. It just really pisses me off, and it, and it makes me sad to think about it. It makes me sad to think that there are just, you know, women across the world, black and Asian, Middle Eastern, South Asian, um, that... Uh, that 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 have that feel like they have to do this shit, and you don't. You really don't. And yeah, man, colorism is just a is a de- is the demonic device, man. It really is demonic. Um, it's never it's not talked about enough. Um, it's 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 not. It's a it's a it's a it's a cultural epidemic. Um, I believe, and um, yeah, the fact that it's a billion dollar industry that just. That really just blows my mind, and uh, I wonder if I, I wonder if I, I don't know if I know anybody that have used it, or um, I mean, I, don't, I, I just wonder now, have I gone past someone? Have, have I gone past a a black woman uh, that used to be, you know, of darker skin tone, and now she just looks like near white or you know light skinned or whatever? I just wonder if I've gone past someone like that, and I've actually clocked, um, but. 
I haven't, but I, I just wonder how many people have passed me like that. And it's just sad. It's, uh, you know, obviously, there's just a lot of mental anguish there, you know what I mean, to, to do that. Um, I don't know, man. It's crazy. But um, I wanted to shout that out. I wanted to put that out there. Um, sorry to leave on a sad note, but it is what it is. Um, you know, colorism's real and it's happening every day. And uh, you know, Pete and black women uh suffer from that. Um, suffer from it a lot. Um, so yeah. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, gonna finish there from the Fifth Film Podcast Network. I've been trying to say it's been most good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Chill Music for the PC track. You can find both of their links in the full show notes. Thanks to Nappy High for Red 5D Nappy High for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, hope you have a good week. I should always try and do the same. Love the skin you're in. Until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.